Hello, and welcome to Super Psychedelic. In this conversation, we were joined by Anna Rickman. Anna is a co-founder and the chief commercial officer of WavePaths. WavePaths focuses on creating music and sounds to enhance psychedelic therapy and as a therapy in and of itself. Anna's relationship with music has been around for as long as she can remember. Some challenging times through her youth led her to therapy, which in turn guided her to ayahuasca. And after a handful of sessions with this plant medicine, a switch seemed to flip both in relation to her mental health and the role music can play in a psychedelic environment. And that led her to co-founding Wave Paths with Dr. Mendel Kalin, one of the early pioneers in the space who created many of the playlists in the early psilocybin studies. In this episode, we talked about experience as medicine, how WavePaths is creating their own adaptive and generative music for psychedelic therapy, how to create a playlist for a trip outside of a clinical setting, can Cannibal Corpse ever work in a psychedelic trip? What are the characteristics of music that make it impactful and therapeutic? Why familiarity with the music might be something to avoid? And the age old question, should we lean into sad music when we're sad, or is it better to listen to happy music to pick us up? And the magic of podcasting is that we get to speak to guests with diverse perspectives from all corners of the world, and we're able to connect with them on these important issues, no matter where they are or what they have going on. When we spoke with Anna, her building was in the midst of a makeover, so please forgive the background noise. We are both grateful and incredibly thrilled to be able to connect with her on these very important subjects. It was an amazing conversation. We really enjoyed it, and we hope you do too. Now we bring you Anna Rickman. Anna, welcome to Super Psychedelic, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Two of my favorite subjects, psychedelics and music. So recently, Wave Pass, the company you co-founded with Dr. Mendel Kalin, Keelan, just raised 4.5 million. So congratulations to you, Mendel and the team. Huge milestone. And I have to say, I think you're doing some of the most interesting work in the space. So just to start with, can you talk a little bit about what Wave Paths is and the vision for what you're building? Um, yeah, of course. Well, firstly, thank you. Um, thanks a lot. That means a lot to hear. It's been quite the road to get there, um, but yeah, it does, it does feel like a very important milestone. Yeah, so what we're trying to build, I guess there's like a, a long-term vision um, and a much shorter-term <laughs> vision. So the sort of broader vision of Waypass is what we call experiences. So this is the idea that we want to build and create or facilitate the creation of uh, therapeutic or healing environments uh, for clients, for people, um, individuals. And that could be through, I mean, environment in the most holistic sense of the term. So the, obviously we'll be focusing on the music right now, but the space itself, the physical space, the light, the art, the architecture, um, the therapeutic relationship, the set as well. So the, um, the intention in the mind of the individual as they go into an experience is also part of the, the, the set and setting is how we refer to it in psychedelic therapy. Um, so that's sort of, I guess, the broad overarching goal um, sort of years and years out down the line, but right now where we're focused on is primarily creating um, the ability for therapists to build a therapeutic musical environment uh, in the context of a psychedelic therapy session when in, a in the clinical setting. Um, so it's a lot more focused and focused down even further for the next quarter or two quarters is ketamine therapists in clinics. 
So right now you're really, you're working with a quite specialized niche in a therapeutic setting, as you mentioned with ketamine, but with this longer goal of really diving into the whole set and setting and what that means with a focus on music, obviously being the main focal point of your company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, down the line, uh, we, we, we also are very interested in spaces. So music plus art and architecture and end experience, like the journey of moving through a space as well is something that we're very interested in. Yeah, we are focused this in this very narrow way at the beginning just because getting the musical environment right um, in a clinical setting uh, for people you know, who have the, the most acute states of need, but also the most, most acute psychological states that, that exist, you know, you're under the influence of a psychedelic. There's a lot of nuances there, and you know, if we can if we can get it right for one particular substance in a clinical setting in this way, then everything else becomes a lot easier down the line. Yeah, I think that uh, concept of experiences medicine is is really interesting. I think I've heard you talk a little bit about that before, with you know, experience being the architect of change, be it good or bad. You know, and whether that experience is kind of art or architecture or therapy or sound um, so you're essentially kind of creating and teaming up with those architects of experience in this context that's musicians and artists to create those experiences and to create catalysts for personal change for sure yeah um, we understand that you know we bring research we bring science we bring um, you know the psychotherapeutic backgrounds uh, as well but um, when it comes to particularly music, um, but then if you wanted to move into spaces, art and architecture, we need to also partner with the masters of experience in those areas. And we work hand in hand with our artists to create these beautiful experiences where, you know, the aesthetic is very, very important. And it's something I actually think that um, we sort of seem some alternatives potentially lack in the space. You know, there's this movement towards this idea of state on demand within music you, know, you press literally press a button on the interface and it's like I want to feel calm and it's more about the functionality of the music and less about the aesthetic quality as well yeah we put a lot of thought and energy into into that you know you've, you've spoken a little bit about you know in the short term you're working with uh, ketamine clinics ultimately in the long term how will consumers interact with with Wavefast let's just take the music side you know, will you have some kind of Headspace app that people can use at home, for example? Yeah, that's definitely on our roadmap. Um, and it's it's been quite humbling and sort of quite remarkable how much demand we are experiencing for this already. And honestly, it's very, very challenging internally to force ourselves to focus um, on the clinical use case first. Uh, we obviously need to as, as a startup, but um, yeah, the demand is definitely there and we have a clear vision for what that consumer product will look like. Uh, it's just a question of sequencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what makes the most sense to bring it to bring it to life, especially as we have this, you know, kind of mainstream focus on more clinical applications and and bringing it through that process of validation through medical application towards mainstream consumption. And, and that being said, I mean, the, the end user is always front and centre in our mind, even when we are designing for therapists at the moment. Say that we're designing for therapists, but we're composing for clients. The client, even though we are at the moment a B2B tool, 
we ideally do like them to have an active role um, in working with the product as well. We encourage the therapists we work with and the clinics we work with to allow the client into the, the creation of the musical experience themselves. That's really, really important for us because what we, we see in this paradigm shift away from um, sort of modern way of treating mental health, uh, which is very much, you know, you turn up, you have a, a particular symptom, you get given a particular drug, you get given a particular course of therapy, uh, to actually, you know, giving a bit of agency and control back to the individual. We see that to be a, a therapeutic act in and of itself. Um, and a lot of the therapists that we currently work with are working with their clients with WavePass in that way and we're seeing some really good results. Yeah, I think that's um, something that was really um, wonderful to see and experience on your website is how much you speak to the experience of not just the interaction that the music plays in a therapeutic setting, but just that music in and of itself is is a therapy, is an experience and comes back to that um, yeah, the the experience as medicine. So you really tied that that whole story together, I think, and it really it's really resonating through everything that you've spoken of. I'd love to to dig a little deeper um, and just open the door for some some of your own personal experience, like what what you got you interested in in this industry and in this particular facet of psychedelic experience. So my motivation to to found WavePass with with Mendel um, really came from my very deep personal experience of struggling with my own mental health honestly uh, for for many many years and experiencing the mental health system in the UK uh, you know everybody mm -hmm. absolutely loves the NHS it does a fantastic job but it's it's quite far behind in terms of its ability to support um, in terms of resourcing uh, mental health yeah uh, I guess more broadly also what I learned through my experience is just that the the way that we currently think about and treat mental health it just it doesn't always work <laughs> and if it does it, it works maybe a part of the way um, but I think in particular in my case it didn't work at all until I found first uh, trauma therapy actually I came to psychedelics through EMDR what really drew me to psychedelics is this it did feel like a new paradigm I mean I'd I'd been through the ringer I tried um, obviously I've been so I actually had complex post-traumatic stress disorder uh, based on like mm -hmm. child sexual abuse. And that left me with a battery of symptoms throughout my early teens and young twenties. Uh, so, you know, anxiety, as you imagine, depression uh, and anorexia. I had, I was anorexic twice, first when I was 12. And I remember going to the doctor and over and over again being prescribed, okay, you know, you have anxiety, you should take this medication or, yeah, depression is this SSRI or, you know, you're anorexic, you need to put on a pound in the next week, otherwise you're going to hospital. <laughs> like, and this, the whole mm. thing felt, um, it didn't work at all. Um, I mean, if anything, it was actually re-traumatizing in a way. It made me feel that it was sort of pathologizing that there was something wrong with me and that I was therefore dependent. I needed something external to myself in order to find healing. And it was really the first time I went to a trauma therapist when they asked me uh, what happened to me that I sort of felt, I felt something shift inside me. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. Like, this is why it hasn't been working. Mm -hmm. And actually that time I hadn't told anyone what happened to me. He, he actually asked me to, he got me to write it down in the end. And I wrote it down. I brought it to our next session and I, I handed it to him and he read it out to me and I, I mean, I hadn't even spoken this out loud in my own head 
before I shared it. His response was like a, literally a, a watershed moment in my healing, which is that he said that he had been waiting for me to share this with him. And we'd been at that time, I think, in therapy for a few months. And it was just so surprising to me to hear that uh, because what I, I thought what I'd shared was, was just completely, it was as soon as like a profound personal secret. Um, and that mm-hmm. I felt those, like sort of deeply, deeply afraid of, ashamed of, and to have it sort of almost welcomed and expected in that way was just this massive relief. Uh, you know, he, he told me that all of the symptoms I was presenting with that I was previously, uh, you know, offered all these different medications or therapies for were actually textbook symptoms of trauma and specifically my kind of trauma. That was the, the 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 first point when I realized that you know the way we are currently treating mental health is completely it's on its head it's it's the wrong way around and the trauma therapy that, that we did together was it was like I mean it was exposure therapy EMDR is essentially exposure to the therapy and exposure therapy is one of the only ways honestly that this has been shown to be effective against trauma I was very very lucky to be exposed to ayahuasca um, a few years later by a friend um, who heard me speaking about the process of EMDR and it, it sounded very very similar to him to the process that's described by his his family um, who worked who've been working with ayahuasca for, for many decades and so I thought I'd give it a go <laughs> and um, <laughs> it, it is it did feel similar in, some, in a certain way you know you sort of you lean into to your experience um, you process it you sort of own it you become familiar and like uh I guess friends with it in some way uh you reframe it in a, in a more positive light that was my journey to ayahuasca after I think it's probably I mean I'm on sort of 30 ceremonies now but I mean I think it was only maybe the first like five or six ceremonies I'd say that my mental health completely turned around um so I no longer had panic attacks I was no longer depressed um you know I haven't struggled with eating since my early 20s and yeah, um, I was able to you know, go, go from a position where I didn't think I'd ever be able to hold down a job to actually, you know, founding my own company in, in mental mm-hmm. health. So, uh, yeah, and obviously with, with music, Ayahuasca is sort of has deeply entrenched music tradition. Um, and the shaman that I've worked with are incredible musicians. Um, obviously, it's live music. Um, and I, yeah, I sort of experienced that sort of the pr- profound feeling of being both sung to, but almost having the, the music put a voice to your own inner emotional world and sort of make it like transform it into something more beautiful. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That was a really powerful story. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, thank, thank you so much for that. Um, I think it's incredible the journey that we have as a society to go through to reshape the paradigms around mental health and so important for folks to show up and share those stories so it's Mm -hmm. it's a big honor to be a part of that and to help share that and you know just applaud your bravery to to show up like that i think that's it's really amazing um thank you in that that experience i mean obviously music would be it, it's so ingrained in that that culture and that experience. What for you then became the the why of music? I mean, that like like you were kind of alluding to a lot of different parts through that healing journey that you went on. 
spoke to you in different ways. Um, is there a particular reason why for yourself music was the thing that you really wanted to engage with? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I see music as an incredibly powerful tool in the same way as psychedelics are. You know, we, we often talked about music at Wayfast as being a psychedelic just in the same way, you know, in and of itself, mm -hmm. in the purest sense of the term as meaning soul, soul revealing. You know, what these tools can help you do is learn to listen to yourself. You know, you can become, sometimes it it takes something like psychedelics to sort of like help you sort of drop down into that space and become a little bit more familiar with uh, working on the, your more emotional level. But then what I found also is that, you know, you can continue that practice with music and the more practice you get, the easier it is to work with sort of less and less actual like stimulation in a way, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, music is just a very powerful, very accessible tool that's always there. You know, you don't have to go to a clinical setting. You don't have to, you know, <laughs> get access mm -hmm. to go to Peru or whatever. Um, you know, you can always access music. And I feel like music, just like language, is the, the way that we sort of reason with ourselves. The language, I guess, or the medium of logic and reason. Music is more the language of emotion communicating with yourself with with music you know listening to music is in and of itself can and should be I think a creative act um, and a therapeutic act if it's a treat, treated if it's approached with intention music's always been a really important part of my life uh, and it's only ever become more important and then my relationship with it has deepened uh, with the understanding of uh, yeah how to work with it better how and why it does work in the way that it does and you know, there's the knowledge and there's also the practice yeah, music is such a just such a deep, interesting subject as it pertains to therapy. But just generally, I think you know we're we're all kind of bought into this, you know, interest and kind of yearning to find out more. Just because music's a part of of everybody's life generally. I mean, most people you meet, you know, music is a, is a somewhat of an essential part of it. of course there's those odd people that are kind of musically neutral that don't like don't like any <laughs> any don't music out there yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have somebody in my family so like yeah I don't like music what is it? it's like it's crazy but uh, you know for most people you know that's it's a running thread throughout their life this kind of soundtrack of their life they can kind of remember these pivotal moments that tied to it you know I want to talk about the intersection of psychedelics and music but also you know, music as its own therapy, as you said on your website, adaptive music for psych psychedelic therapy and as psychedelic therapy, which is, is really interesting. Um, but, but first off, you know, how does music enhance a trip? What, you know, what about the effects of music on the visuals? Um, is the effect just on, you know, internal thoughts and feelings because you associate music with certain things? You know, for me, I've always... I've always used music during my trips and I, you know, one thing that I really like about it is it can be a bit of a, it can kind of create themes, but I found it can also be a bit of a, a grounding thread kind of keeping you tied to a bit of reality as things kind of, you know, spin and do what they do in the experience. So yeah, I guess my first question would be, you know, how does music enhance a trip? Well, I mean, there was actually just quite recently a new study that's come out that um, has proven that psilocybin enhances emotional response to music by 60% or something. And there's been previous studies with other substances that have suggested similar things. Honestly, like, I think you'd probably want to 
have a deep conversation with with Mendel or, or our chief science officer Bradley on this. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways that music works uh, synergistically with psychedelics on the brain. One like core way is yes, it does enhance the emotional response to music. It, it can also play quite interestingly with the the visual part of the brain and um, autobiographical memory. Mm. So this idea of sort of like almost like digging down and exploring your emotional world, but how you know emotions are on on a very deep level. They t- they tend to be have associations with different events in your life, you know, different triggers, different uh, traumas, for instance, and unpacking those relationships, uh, you know, the the event, the emotion, the, the memory, sorry, and the emotion, that's sort of a part of like unpicking the, the core root of, of traumas. Um, I find music to just be a really powerful guide um, as I sort of drop, drop down and, and explore my emotional world trying to figure out you know how I'm, why I'm feeling a certain way how I'm feeling about a certain thing and the music can be it can be both directive like a guide it can also be supportive um you know it can like uh, comfort you uh it can also just create a space within which you can pr- project yourself it has lots of different functions I guess mm-hmm. you touched on a really good word there kind of autobiographical mm-hmm. you know music and psychedelics are kind of intertwined in my mind has a long history you know we have drumming and chanting that you talked about with indigenous cultures you know we have the psychedelic kind of cliched now rock of pink floyd and the deadheads and fish um the ultra academic establishment classical playlists of of johns hopkins but you know that that word autobiographical it it seems like the right music for the trip is dependent on a number of things and that can be quite individualized and uh, relative to to culture can you speak a little bit about that and i don't know if you have any thoughts on the kind of playlists that have been created for to date but certainly from what i see in the academic world it's kind of classical um and then the indigenous world it's this kind of rhythmic type type music but you know let's say myself coming into therapy like what what is the right music for me yeah, I mean, I think you've touched on the very core of what we're trying to achieve at, at Wavepath. So, so sort of taking a step back a bit to the research foundations of behind the, our approach, uh, it was during Mendel Kanan's PhD, he was working at Imperial with the psilocybin trial for treatment-resistant depression. And during his time there, he found uh, the paper's called The Hidden Therapist. It's a really important sort of seminal read if you're interested in this space. He found that there's actually variables in the in the music experience more than any of the drug variables that were more predictive of positive therapeutic outcomes. Uh, so that sort of got him absolutely fascinated. Obviously, <laughs> okay, well, wow, this is you know, this really does challenge the way we think about mental health and pharmacology. Uh, you know, maybe it's not actually the drug that is the agent, or at least not the the one of the. It may be an agent, but is it the core agent? Like, how does it work with other potential agents in in this process? And so he pivoted his PhD to to towards just looking at the the role of music in psychedelic therapy. If this is true, if this is truly the case that it is variables in the music experience more than any drug variables, which are more predictive of positive therapeutic outcomes. So, well, how and why, you know, what are the mechanisms of actions of actions here? What are the variables that we can play with to ensure that the music experience is optimized for therapeutic outcomes? Um, and vice versa, you know, how can we avoid having negative experiences? And what 
he found and what we've continued to develop through our own proprietary research is this understanding that the most important thing to optimize for in a music experience is resonance. Um, and we look at resonance in a number of ways. It's obviously incredibly holistic as a, as a sort of concept, but it requires a number of different things we think about. So openness and liking and alignment. All of these things, again, are completely subjective, you know, um, like, like liking uh, might be based on what we refer to as trait variables. So what are your musical, musical preferences? What is the cultural context that might have informed your musical preferences? Do you like ambient music or acoustic music? What kind of instrumentation? Vocals, female, male, um, what sort of like tonal qualities, timbre. Alignment might be more what we say are state variables. So is this music aligned with your emotional state? And that's not necessarily, it needs to be completely aligned. Like I'm happy, I'm feeling happy. I want the music to be happy, but is it aligned with, with what you need right now in the moment? Um, you know, maybe I want to lean into something with sorrowful state or grief. Um, I'm feeling like happy right now. I'm feeling in a sort of my ego strength is in a position where I, I feel confident to explore that. So liking alignment. And then if those are all in order, then that will contribute to openness. And openness is, I think, like the, the really key element, you know, being open to the music, being open to the process that really allows the deep therapeutic process to happen. But as I said, you know, all of these things are completely subjective, which requires us to create a musical platform, which is able to be personalized and adapted to, you know, every single individual. And that's like a very ambitious long-term goal that we have within, you know, we sort of are humble enough to recognize that you know, we, we come with our own musical preferences and, and sort of context and biases. And we can only curate confidently uh, and with credibility uh, music that we you know we are familiar with ourselves so at the moment the platform does highlight sort of just definitely more of a western um, influence uh, sort of background of our music but that's not to say that we're, it's not very important to us to to get to a place in the future where we the, the platform can really be adapted to you wherever you have come from whatever you need um, and to do that we really want to work with our community of therapists who have the knowledge and experience and um, and background to be able to authentically contribute and help curate in that in those directions. Yeah, it's a really interesting challenge. Uh, just kind of business wise, you, you know, there's no standardization across this, but equally you need to create a solution that scales um, and you know multiple people can tap into. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess that kind of curation engine of general themes that kind of nudge people down certain certain pathways is the the long-term vision yeah so i mean the generative system that we've created there's sort of two ways you can work with it uh we do have more of like a plug and play but like option which is very handy for the therapist just starting out and they want to you know it's there's a lot to think about when you're setting up a psychedelic clinic um like so much and um, it's very, you know, stressful, a huge amount of responsibility, obviously. And, uh, you know, if you just want music to be one less thing on your list of concerns, um, you know, you can just trust that you press play and, you know, Wavehouse is going to deliver a musical experience which is optimized uh, for therapeutic outcomes for your clients. Then we have designed templates, which I guess are standardized to a degree. They're optimized for the substance, the dosage, the route of administration. We have some broad templates, like what particular, you know, 
problems people might be pushing through. But within those standardized templates, because the music is generated live in the browser, um, the musical experience is actually different and unique every single time. So in that sense, it is individualized. And, you know, if you are a therapist who has maybe a bit more confidence or interest in, in adapting the music, or you have a client who you want to give that control to and sort of co-create a session together, you can play uh, very, very actively with the variables to actually design and personalize based on the preferences of, of the client. In a sense, like this is probably the most scalable way that you can achieve the level of like level of individualization um, that we have. Yeah, I mean, it is. You're right. It's a, it's a great challenge, but it's the, the core of what we offer: personalization and adaptation. And then just something you, you you know you touched on a little bit with this, with the kind of you know the timbre and things like that. Um, what makes music potentially more or less effective? This kind of individualized approach. So say I'm planning an experience with my friends, how do I approach the playlist, the golden question, you know, <laughs> themes, lyrics, no lyrics, should you think about transitions kind of coming up, peak experience coming mm -hmm. down, you know, the ready-made playlists always seem a little bit just like random collections of, of songs, popular music or, you know, you know, genres or whatever it is. When I was younger, mm -hmm. we used to listen to things like Sigal Ross, it was really good because it was, you know, vocalizations and kind of human, but it's made up language. So you, you, there, there was no kind of distractions there. We always liked that kind of ambient chill type stuff. Um, but I guess that, you know, and you were talking about these universalities, but also these things that you need to tailor. I guess is there, you know, even chords and things like that, like do major chords versus minor chords? And is there any music that's like, this is absolutely crazy. This will never work. Like, you know, hardcore trance or cannibal corpses, hundred percent always going to ruin your, you know, your trip. Um, and even, you know, I know this is now a mouthful of, of a question, but you know, some of these things are long experiences. So are you, you know, are you trying to plan an eight hour playlist um, with a progression kind of vibe setting like a DJ? So how, how would you approach it? Just, you know, you know, a group of people wanting to trip with their with their music. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a huge amount there. Um, <laughs> and try uh, see if I can pick up on everything that you mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, so firstly with playlists, Mendel actually, you know, his first, his initial work in music was he created the playlists for, for some of the earliest psilocybin trials, um, and they've become very very famous. But you mentioned familiarity. You know, we sort of joke a little bit internally that, you know, Mendel's playlist, they're just so familiar now. <laughs> like, we can't, we can almost not bear to listen to them because we've listened to them so many times, even though obviously the music is like insanely beautiful and like the progression is like perfectly designed for a psilocybin journey. Um, but yeah, familiarity is, is um, an important aspect of, of music choice. So one of the reasons why we've gone down the generative route is because music without any, any pre-existing associations or, or memories is, is important in a psychedelic experience because it can otherwise be directive in a way that may or may not be helpful. And we want to try and optimize for creating a space where like novel uh, uh, understanding can, can arise. And then you also mentioned about transitions as well with playlists. So that's something which is, is an issue that kind of, it's just very hard to get over, you know, when you have a, you're transitioning between songs, there's always a bit of a break. There's always like a, you know, a step change and 
when you're in the psychedelic experience, you know, just songs can create worlds and that, that transition can be quite jarring. So again, with generative music, um, the transitions are, are slow and gentle and they meld into each other perfectly. Um, as I mentioned, we have the ability to like plug and play the optimum in inverted, in inverted commas uh, journey uh, for different substances. So we actually we break down the journey into sort of pre-onset, onset, peak and um, return. And those templates are sort of automatically adjusted uh, based on the substance, the route of administration and the dose. So, you know, the dose is a bit higher then the peak might start a bit sooner. Um, it might last a bit longer. You know, uh, the system will create that template for you. Um, but absolutely, you're right. It is important to think about those different stages of a psychedelic experience. And then in terms of what, whether there's any music that might just never ever be therapeutic. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't honestly know. It's, it really just would depend on the individual. So I think if you're doing it in a group setting, um, then I think probably there, there might be, because, you know, someone's hardcore trance might not be someone else's, like, or jazz, <laughs> you know, sort of experimental jazz or something, this might not be someone else's cup of tea. But that's not to say that for for in an individual, you know, that they might, it might actually be very therapeutic to listen to that sort of music. And that's an area of really new research that we're looking into now internally um where we're looking at the different emotional atmospheres that our platform can produce and based on different measures of like you know personality types for instance or other variables that we're sort of tracking we're seeing like how the different emotional atmospheres do or do not evoke the the intended emotional response of that we are uh, behind the design of the system there's some really interesting research coming out there actually that i hope that we'll be able to produce uh, maybe in the new year, we can talk in a bit more depth about that, but yeah. Um, I wanted to circle back to something that you said, cause I thought it was really interesting and I'm curious how the nuance of creating this system comes together because you mentioned that you do want to stray away from something that is too familiar because there's maybe more of an existing emotional connection that could distract or take away from being able to be open to the new pathways that you're trying to create to the new you you're leaning into or transformative mindset. So is that something I was really honing in on that idea of resonance that you were talking about and, and what went into that being like the openness, the liking and the alignment, but then you have this other layer of, but you don't want it to be music that you're already familiar with. If you're trying to go into that more like transformational therapeutic type setting, is that correct in painting that picture? Like how does that, how does that all come together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you summarize that perfectly. So I guess with um, familiarity, it, it's more like uh, it's it's really is very specific, like a specific song or a specific riff um, that would be the trigger. So if you think of you know like a, a smell, for instance, like I actually I've been wearing my granddad's jumper today because it's super cold in London, <laughs> um, and I haven't washed it since I picked it up from his house, and it still smells like him, and it just immediately transports me right back there. But it's a very specific smell, whereas you know the the liking openness residence, the way that we're controlling for that, that's a bit more general. So it's more of like, you know, it's like a, a sweetness versus like this smells like an apple. Like it doesn't sort of plant a, a vision or a, an idea in your head. 
I see. I see. I see. Thank you for that. <laughs> it was a good summary. I was like, those are awesome ideas. Now, how do they all fit together? You also mentioned that, and, and correct me if this was summarized improperly, but you mentioned that you folks are, are saying, are seeing that like studies are saying, um, the music or the experience is actually more impactful than the substance being taken. So if you are like, you're currently, um, focusing your guys work on ketamine clinics, but you said you are also optimizing wave paths, um, I guess, algorithm for being able to be applied with different substances. So you are actually doing studies as well right now with things like ayahuasca or MDMA, like you are doing those studies right now and you're seeing different results based on the substance, or is it really that much more impactful, the experience and the music and all of that? I mean, I can caveat that a bit. So, I mean, the, the substance is important and it's a very powerful catalyst, I would say, rather than an agent. Um, and I think that's the mm -hmm. shift that I was trying to emphasize more. So, I mean, you, you take something like Ibogaine, for instance, and <laughs> you, you can argue that that was an incredibly powerful and impactful substance. Uh, yeah, so we are working at the moment with uh, MDMA and psilocybin. We're supporting... Uh, although we're still in beta for those substances, we are supporting clinical trials at the moment. And we is sort of a key part of, of what we do at WavePass to be able to continually support research. Um, we're very proud to be able to, to work with, for instance, there's a, an anorexia trial um, with psilocybin at Imperial that we're working with them on the music for, as well as we're working with like Washington State University, McGill University, Monash University. Um, yeah, we've got a, quite a lot of, of trials going on with other substances as well. You mentioned two uh, substances there, psilocybin and, and MDMA. I'm just curious, do you tailor music to the substances or do, does the substance affect your, your music choice or the soundtrack? Yeah, um, absolutely. So one of the reasons why, I mean, there's, there's a number of reasons we focus on ketamine first. Obviously, it's now currently the most widely available um, to work with, but also the sessions are shorter and actually the music required for the sessions it, it having a slightly more ambient um sort of spacious musical environment is very uh suited to ketamine whereas with something like uh psilocybin for instance you know you're talking about a much longer trip maybe six six or longer hours and um it does sort of ask or demand for a, a stronger narrative structure to it more depth more variety and um, I mean, it's interesting, like we, we have discussions with the therapists who've been working with different substances and music for a long time and the way that they describe the kind of music that is optimum for different substances, there is absolutely a sort of a personality or a character that is better, better suited for different substances. Mm -hmm. So on that thread, actually, one thing that we were uh, thinking about internally on our team is this question of leaning into or adverting attention from challenging emotions. So, you know, obviously, as, as you said, you know, your, I think you said alignment that like alignment with your emotional state at the current moment is somebody ready to maybe explore further depths and should the music cater to that, that wish, but, um, something we'd love to get your take on or from your experience, is there a best practice 
um, that's kind of floating. Like if you're, if you're feeling sad, you know, is, is that catharsis that you're seeking something that you should try to aim for with your musical selection or does it, is it potentially more beneficial to try to elevate the mood and, and lean into the opposing more positive emotion? I'm, I'm curious how, if that's come up in your guys' work. Yeah. I mean, that's a very complex question <laughs> and I think it would just be a highly contextual. The way we think about it in a clinical setting is does the client in this moment have enough ego strength um to to manage to to healthily process what the what they're feeling what's coming up for them if so then it can be very therapeutic to push into that that resistance and that pain or that grief and if not then it can actually be counter therapeutic and it can be re-traumatizing the example that i could give is when i first started trauma therapy you know it's exposure therapy i, I do mdr and i reaccess these these memories and they were so traumatic in the time that I dissociate, which meant that the therapeutic process kind of was kiboshed, <laughs> essentially, I sort of kicked, mm-hmm. kicked out of the process. Um, so it wasn't therapeutic at all. Um, you know, something like MDMA, for instance, has the ability for, it sort of, it's, it takes down that um, automatic response, that sort of fight, flight, freeze response of preservation and allows you to it facilitates like pushing into those memories from like a bit more of a detached place so you can it really helps uh BTSD in particular for that reason that's sort of the clinical context and then I guess more in like a, a wellness context I think it honestly just depends on how you're engaging so you know are you listening to like sad music to re- reflect your how you're feeling because you're actively and intentionally processing it or are you just, you know, like trying to, are you just dwelling and you're in a hole and you don't have any intention to like proactively engage? Yeah. Does that, does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are, those are great considerations. Cause I know like, obviously you guys are really working towards building out those models in a therapeutic setting, but you know, as Pete was kind of asking before, like for those, for those at home, um, I guess, you know, just, just having that kind of honest conversation with yourself about what it is that might come up in those moments and what that musical selection is going to mean is going to, you know, what rabbit hole is it going to take you down? And are you, are you ready to go there? Or is it maybe better to have a different approach? So I think, yeah, that was very well answered. My preference is to be emo and wallow. (laughs) (laughs) Pete's ready for catharsis. Yeah. I always thought that like melancholy was just a underappreciated feeling, mm. you know, where it's, you're not necessarily sad and leaning into sadness per se, but you're not also, you know, happy and bouncing off the walls, but you're okay with reflecting on the tragic comedy of life through uh, emo music or <laughs> Radiohead <laughs> or something, you know, there's something cathartic about that. Um, I also, I always, I've always thought as well that, you should be able to sit with an emotion. I'm not necessarily talking in a therapeutic context here, just kind of, you know, if you're, if you are feeling sad, it's okay to listen to sad music and feel that sadness, reflect on the sadness and then kind of move past it rather than kind of having this, I think almost a societal pressure that we have to kind of have this positivity, you know, this, well, that's not okay. You kind of got to get back up and, you know, I was saying to Aaron, listen to some Venga boys, you know, you've got to get back out there. <laughs> it's okay sometimes to be at one with mm-hmm. that, you know, sadness or melancholy. Yeah, it's important. 
I think that, you know, sometimes the way that we think about emotions in the modern Western society is, does contribute to the mental health crisis that we're seeing. You know, you put a lot of judgment on good and bad emotions um, and pushing away, like, what we would frame as, like, negative emotions, whatever, like sadness, grief, anger. It's denying an entire, like, half of your inner emotional world. And that can't but lead to, you know, discontentment. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. I think we, we all we all have those moments and I think I've definitely fallen in that camp as well. Um, you know, like having music transform what something like, a, I guess, negative uh, framed emotion into something beautiful, whether that's grief or, or anger um, is, yeah, very, very therapeutic. Yeah. One question I had was, you know, we, we spoke with Dennis McKenna on a previous podcast and the, the question came up around uh, Terence um, and his views of music. He was quite anti-music in psychedelic experiences. He, you know, he talked about the heroic dose and, you know, just kind of strap in and he almost thought music was this dis complete distraction for the experience itself. Um, how do we, or how do you, as somebody that curates it, but how do you prevent music from being overbearing or becoming a distraction in the experience? Mm. I, I think it's clear that it helps, and if you have a preference for it, it definitely works. But is there a, is there a time when it can be overwhelming, or you know, how do we prevent it from uh, becoming that distractive force? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a space for silence in psychedelic trips for sure. We we have the ability in the platform in, in way past to be able to add moments of silence i would maybe counter um that you know uh, having a really heroic dose could also be potentially distracting um from the therapeutic process the therapeutic process is something that happens in the individual and both the music and the drug could potentially be distracting just like anything else in the environment or anything else involved um in the experience music should be a support and a guide and if it does become distracting then you're doing it wrong um you know it's I guess maybe early in the conversation implied that maybe it was the music that was the agent of change um during a psychedelic therapy session versus the drug but actually I see both music and the drug as catalysts because the agent really is the individual um and the environment just needs to be yeah optimal to for the individual to be in the place where they feel safe um and supported to do inner work um and you know the drug and the music and the therapeutic relationship they're all um elements of that environment that support that process but the agent is actually the individual and i think that's a roundabout way of answering your question yeah that makes complete sense and i've, I've actually heard a mm -hmm. um a guide or a trip setter who works with mdma say something similar about um you know, not on the heroic dose side, but in kind of MDMA and, you know, getting to that place where people quite often, you know, MDMA is known to a lot of people as a recreational drug, but, you know, that those kind of ultimate peak experiences aren't necessarily what's used in those kind of therapeutic sessions. And when you get to that kind of place, that becomes a distraction in and of itself mm. or can become. So speaking from my experience, I actually haven't ever taken a heroic dose of, of anything. Um, although obviously it's, I'm curious, it's like anyone probably. What I found actually is as I've been become more experienced working with, with plant medicine, I actually require less and less each time. And similarly with, with music, if I'm just working with music, it takes you less and less time to, to drop into a therapeutic process. 
So I, I don't know, honestly, from a personal perspective, how that interacts with the importance of having a peak experience. There is research to, to show that they can be very profoundly therapeutic as well in a different way. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be able to speak from a personal experience front. One thing that's been so consistent in in getting to talk with you today is your emphasis on personal agency. And I think that's a really beautiful thing that we've embraced in a lot of the conversations that we've gotten to have on this podcast is that that emphasis that really at the end of the day, like you get to show up in that, in that relationship and in that experience. So that's, you know, that's that important part. The external things will be what they are, but it's the you that you bring to it. That's, that's really the important part. So one thing we ask all our guests as a kind of final question to wrap up, what's your hope for the future of the psychedelic movement and where would you like to see all of this go? Yeah, so um, I mean, the, the reason why I've, I've moved into the space and sort of dedicated my career to it is just I really want to reach a point in time where every, every single human being on the planet has both the tools and the knowledge to manage their own mental health. And the understanding that, you know, it is in their, their gift if they do have the right tools and knowledge and, and support around them. So, yeah, both of us, we're doing our, our bit through music. It's it's more accessible, scalable, for sure, in the shorter term than some of these psychedelic therapies. So I'm very, very excited about rolling out both paths for, for non-drug use cases as well as, obviously, our current focus. Amazing. Anna, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. It's these conversations that highlight the emerging new world of psychedelics and allow us to speak to both the pioneers and the new age innovators shaping the current culture of this exciting space. In every episode, we hope to help you, the listeners, connect the dots and be a part of the conversation that is super psychedelic. If you like what you heard, you can rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.